If you have Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to pray. Father, I ask that you would bring the inspiration of the Holy Spirit upon me right now to stir up in me a boldness to clarify and explain and announce what you say in your book. I ask God that I would preach to myself, that I would preach to my hearers, that you would build us up, that you would strengthen us, that if there's stuff that's broken in us, you'd align it today, that you'd patch it up. If there's stuff where we've gone astray, that you'd pull us back. If there's stuff that's tired and weary and needs to be strengthened, that you'd strengthen us. We ask that your good word would go forth and it would find receptive hearts in Jesus' name. All right, 2 Timothy, I'm going to read you, I don't know, probably the whole chapter. You must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable. It's a nice word, implacable. It's not exegesis time yet, it's reading time. I'll get back to it. He says, what's it mean? Slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding an outward form of godliness but denying its power, avoid them. That's what I wrote on my whiteboard. My whiteboard has people who... I'm trying to bring into church membership on the one side and then avoid them. And I thought, oh, those two things are not related. Hope no one walks in and reads my board and misunderstands. Avoid them. For among them are those who make their way into households and captivate silly women overwhelmed by their sins and swayed by all kinds of desires. Can you pull my volume down just slightly? Who are always being instructed but never arrive at a knowledge of the truth. But they won't make much progress because, as in the case of Giannis and Yambres, oh, hold on, hold on, I skipped a verse. Okay, always being instructed and can never arrive at the knowledge of the truth, truth verse 8, as Giannis and Yambres opposed Moses, so these people of corrupt mind and counterfeit faith, counterfeit faith, also oppose the truth, but they're not going to make much progress because, as in the case of these two men, their folly will become plain to everyone. Verse 10, now you've observed my teaching, my conduct, my goal in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my suffering, and the things that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me out of all of them. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All will. But wicked people and imposters, imposters, there it is like the third time, will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've known the sacred writings 
that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful. Useful. For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, skilled, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. If I asked you the question, are we living in the end times? How would you answer that? Bunny says we are in a way. You say we are, we are, we are. Well, it's not over yet. And if you're right, Bunny says, it's going to get worse before the end. It's funny, because while it's getting worse, the church is getting better, isn't it? It's, fun. it's weird. that Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the ends of the earth. Wait, what? So society's going to get much harder to live in, but the church is going to be so in love with God and so in love with lost people that instead of hole up in a corner and say, oh my word, they're terrible, we're going to stretch out and reach more and more and more to the ends of the earth. The light's shining brighter while the dark's getting darker? How does that even work? But that's what Jesus describes. And Paul, Paul, this is 2,000 years ago, Paul says, let me tell you what you have to understand, Timothy. What you need to know is that it's going to be real hard for you. Paul expects that in his, his mentee, what's the word for someone you're mentoring? I know it's not mentos. Those are edible. His apprentice, thank you. Just switch the whole vocabulary. When you don't know a word and you literally just change. What, what, uh, fella, uh, my company, my com- my, uh, the fellow plays guitar. <laughs> That's from a brother where out there, Eric. You knew. Of course you did. Yeah, <laughs> do with the teeth. Okay, it's a good, it's a good movie. I sometimes I distract myself from the sermon. I'm like way more distracted than people are. Yeah. Hi, by the way, I'm Tim. Nice to meet you. What's your name? Hi. Good to meet you. Sorry to single you out like that. That's not what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So Paul thought. Back then, 2,000 years ago, it was extremely important that he prepare Timothy for what it's going to look like to be faithful in the end times. Because he thought, okay, we're in the end times. And the closer we get to the end, life's going to be harder for the Christian. Why? Why is life going to be harder for the Christian? I read the book of Revelation, and sometimes when I was a kid, I was a teenager, when I first met Jesus, the youth group was going through the book of Revelation together, which is a weird idea, but we did. And, <laughs> and they were like, look at the angels with the bulls and the plagues, and like wars are happening, and famines are happening, and earthquakes are happening. It's like, it, like the description is like massive giant cockroach creatures crawling around like aliens and shooting lasers out of their face. I was very confused by what was going on. I'm a brand new Christian, and they're reading me this stuff. It's very symbolic language, by the way. It's symbolic, but 
the, what we use treated it like it was literal language, not helpful at all. But that's not, according to Paul, what he wants Timothy to know about the end times. The reason it's going to be hard, the reason there are distressing times, it's right there. What's it say? Verse 1 says it's going to be distressing. Verse 2 says what? No, verse 2. It's going to be distressing times for, which is a causal, because people are going to have moral decay. If you live in a society of loving, honest people of integrity, life's good. That makes for life to be good. If you break, if you break something, your neighbor lets you borrow their thing that works. Before, like they, you know, I have a friend and she's like, my therapist told me that it's really healthy for me to scream real loud because it releases oxytocin and whatever. And I warn my children, I'm going to, mama's going to scream. So then I screamed and my neighbor knocked at my door. Are you okay? I said, that's a good neighbor. That's a good neighbor. Also, why aren't you screaming into like a pillow or something? What's wrong with you? Somebody was brave enough to get stabbed to come check on you. Do you know what I mean? Because that's what I'm picturing in my mind when I hear a blood-curdling scream at 4 p.m. What are you, you know? But in, an, in, a, in a wicked society, if you get a flat tire, they steal everything from you. In a good society, they help you out. And sometimes people will bend over backwards to help you out. And all, they don't even need a thank you. They, they like a thank you. Paul says, in the end times, Timothy, here's what you need to be prepared for. To obey Jesus when people are not kind, when people are not open, when people are not receptive, when people are not loving, when people are not good, and when people are not decent, it's going to cost you more. For you to be love toward people who are love, that's easy. Even a pagan can do that, says Jesus. But for you to love people who hate you, slap you, treat you bad, lie about you, talk bad about you, talk mean to you, that takes a miracle. That takes conversion. That takes the Father's power working in and through you. And that's what it's going to be required. In the end times, you are going to face hardship because of the moral decay in society. And then he describes that moral decay, verses 2 through 5. People will be lovers of themselves. Well, that's the basic thing, isn't it? The image of God is self-giving love. What does God look like? He looks like Jesus dying on a cross for sinners because he loves us so much that he's unwilling to see us perish. He's more willing to take it all on himself. He says, I'll take all of your F's and all the consequences. I'll give you all of my A's and all of the consequences. I just want you home. I just want you back. I would rather die than kill my enemies. That's God. The image of the devil is inspired in Adam and Eve when he starts saying, why don't you think about with reference to you, 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 you. You know God's withholding. It's about you. You're going to have to look out for number one. If you don't look out for you, God's certainly not going to look out for you because you can't trust him. She believed him, went along with him. So did Adam. And guess what was formed in their nature and in our nature? Me, me, me. You don't have to worship the devil with little sacrifices and Latin phrases and oh, and all the coven nonsense to be demonic. All you have to do to be demonic is be selfish. That's his nature. 
That's what's reproduced in us when we follow his voice. The devil doesn't say, come worship me, usually. He does, but he sneaks it in under the guise of, just do you, baby. Just do you. What do you want? What do you feel? It's about time for you to be happy. Life's about you. Marriage is about you. Job's about you. Career's about you. It's all about you, baby. That's demonic. Selfishness is the image of the devil. Self-giving love is the image of Jesus. So he's describing this is what it's going to be like. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Okay, how many of you know money is a blessing? Thank you, yes. But the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. People who trust in money and love money, the Pharisees loved money, by the way. God makes generous people. Sin makes greedy people. But a lot of us love money because of the status it gives us, because of the power it gives us, and because of the security it offers us. It's an idol. It's a false god. And when we trust it, it's very deceptive. You can't take it with you. And then you're gone. Right? So it's, Jesus views money as a blessing. There's a proverb that says, God, don't let me be poor and don't let me be too rich. If I'm too poor, I'll be tempted to steal. If I'm too rich, I'll trust my money and forget you. Just give me my daily bread. I trust you. I ain't got to know where tomorrow's coming from. I know who's going to provide for me tomorrow. Well, that's a load off. I can just seek first his kingdom and righteousness. And what's interesting is some people have an anointing to make money. They really do. God's given some people an anointing to make money. And some of them are so incredible that they can channel that resource for kingdom generosity in a way that's not ensnaring their soul. Some of us can't. Some of us couldn't and shouldn't handle that much money. For most of us, for most of us, the love of money is super dangerous. But you know what? If you practice generosity, it sure does help. Okay, okay. When we're greedy, we use people to get money. When we're generous, we use money to help people. Boasters, oh, I'm amazing. Look at me, arrogant. That's a form of entitlement. Like, yeah, I deserve this. I deserve to be treated a certain way. Walk in. <laughs> the opposite of when you walk in the room, everything changes. Is when this guy walks into the room, he expects to be treated a certain way. These are the people that, oh, okay, let's just move on. No, no, no. I don't want to just like spend the whole time on the, talking about how bad people are bad. And actually, we all can be tempted with everything on this list. So if none of this cuts us up a little bit, there's a problem. Yep. Abusive, just hard on people, very hard. Don't care who you hurt, and you're hurting people. Uh, disobedient to parents. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. Uh, ungrateful. Every one of these you can flip and see how Jesus is and how we're called to be. Unholy. Inhuman. That's a fascinating one. Implacable. Okay, somebody said, what does that mean? That, that's somebody who won't be backed down from their course. Nope. They're not going to listen to... Nope. You, not, not listening to reason. Nope. nope. It's the person who, when they have a conflict with somebody else, and you're trying to reconcile, they refuse. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Done with you. I'm done. I want blood. Don't care. Not listening to anything. I've made up my mind. I'm not listening. 
slanderers. Um, at Twitter. Uh, let's see. Profligates. Profligate means it wastefully lavish in, in, in their expenditures. Just they, they, they buy stuff that's, that makes them look rich and they waste it. It profligate. Just whatever. Wasteful. Mm. That's, a, that's a weird one, right? Because we have a disposable society. Like we are, in, we throw away stuff King Solomon would be blown away by. Things like little plastic jars, perfectly formed, durable, flexible, container. Just we throw them away. He would go into Walmart. King Solomon would walk into Walmart and he would say, what? This is incredible. This is a miracle. Right? The poorest of the poor in America on food stamps are richer than him in terms of options, health of our food, cleanness of our water. We're kind of a profligate society is what I'm trying to say. But we think we're not because we compare things to our own weird standards. I'm not saying that life's not hard for us. That's not my point. My point is he'd be blown away. Blown away. And we just like toss that. A pickle jar made of glass. We just toss it. It could literally be your drinking glass for the next 60 years. We toss it. Come on, woman. Why you got always, and plus, why does everything have to be made of glass? It gets broken, and then the kids step on it. And I'm there with the tweezers. Plastic for the win, dude. Profligate. Wasteful, yeah. Brutes, that's someone who's just causing harm, just violent, just a gr- like an angry person. Haters of the good. Haters of the good. See, each one of these I could easily show you, like all these other passages of Scripture, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to restrain myself because there's a point I want to get to. Treacherous, that's someone who betrays people. Reckless, that's someone who doesn't really think before they act. They just do what they feel like, and then, oh, well, consequences be what they are. Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, this is interesting because what he's hitting at is you're thinking he's talking about the world, not the church. And then he says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. So you go, whoa, 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 what do you mean having a form of of godliness? Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Most of us, I think when we seek a spouse, we're not thinking, how can I lay down my life to see someone else enter the will of God? I don't think that's what our motive is. I think our motive is, she's hot. I feel warm and fuzzy when I get near her. Look at all she's going to bring to my life if I can get, obtain her. You can substitute him if you'd like. He's hot. He makes me feel beautiful. He makes me feel safe. I, me. And then you have two people standing at an altar supposedly making vows which means cutting a covenant of self-denial, a commitment to self-denial for the rest of your life. Instead, we make up our own cute vows about how amazing we promise to feel. (laughs) My favorite vow that somebody wrote ended with this phrase, 
And in the case of the zombie apocalypse, you have my axe. I, I was like, because those were secret vows. They like, called me off behind a bush. They're like, here's the real vows. In public, we got some boring vows, but these are the real ones. And I was like, why are these not the real ones? I want to see you swinging that axe in the zombie apocalypse. And, they said, and then hers said something like, and when Elon Musk opens the way to Mars, babe, I'm with you all the way. And I was like, this is hilarious. What is even happening? We got Mars and a zombie apocalypse. But what I'm saying is, when you stand there and make holy vows, do you know what you're saying? You're saying you. Oh, by the way, I'm so glad that your report so far has been encouraging, and I pray that it will be, continue to be encouraging. We're supposed to say the motive, you. No matter what it costs me, you till death. No matter what it costs me, no matter the emotional, financial, relational cost, you. Death first. From now on, it's you. Not till I feel differently because I'm in it for me. The high divorce rate in this country is just like, people don't, I'm convinced people fall out of love after they fall out of repentance. But if the foundation wasn't self-denying Christian love, I'm just saying Jesus is really helpful. Yes, he is. He's really helpful. And if you're, okay, so I got to get back on point. Lovers of pleasure is where I'm getting. There's people who, their faith is a me. Oh, forgiveness of sins? Me, me, me. Sure, Jesus. I'll do what you, I'll go visit a building on Sundays and maybe cuss a little less. I'll throw a couple in the offering plate if that's, if I get heaven later. Sure, me, me. Me. Oh, I can speak in tongues. That's fun. Me. Oh, I go to a conference. Me. Oh, they like when I preach. They like when I preach. Me. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord on the lips, but me, me, me in the heart. And Paul says, guys, there's people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. Do you know what deny the power means? The word for power just means ability. It just means ability. You have certain abilities as a human living person. Oh, by the way, I just got to say it one more time. I'm a human man boy. That's what I yell at my camera when it won't face detect. It has a face detect setting. It's supposed to recognize the difference between a wall and a human man boy. And it's like, the wall's good. I'm like, no, camera, I'm a human man boy. But you know what it can't tell the difference between? A video on the, in the background with a human face and me. It doesn't know the difference between the form and the substance. It, it can't tell. It cannot detect the difference between a human man boy. That's what I am, Micah. I'm a human man boy. And Paul says, you know, you know, okay, so you know when you go shopping for furniture, they set up little fake, like little fake office so that you can imagine your worthless garbage set on that desk, right? Have you ever moved out of a house and realized that what was ruining the house was your garbage? Like you, you finally empty the whole house out and clean it, and then you're like, oh, I want to live here. <laughs> it was our stuff making it horrible. This is way better. We should burn our stuff. And everyone else's stuff is stuff, but your stuff, everyone else's stuff is crap, but your stuff is stuff. Get your crap out of my area so I can put my stuff there. Man, I am so far afield. When you're shopping for furniture, they set up a fake office, and what do they put there? They don't put a real computer on that thing. Why? 
Someone's going to steal it. So what do they put there? They put a cardboard computer, a fake laptop, or they put an empty shell of a phone that doesn't have any of the functions of a phone. But if I picked it up in a video and pretended, you'd, you'd be like, oh, that's a real phone. It has all the form, but none of the abilities. It doesn't have the actual interner, interner, internal architecture. It can't do what a real phone does. It just looks like a real phone. And Paul says in the last days, there's going to be some really evil people. And they're going to be in church. They'll lead Bible studies. They'll preach sermons. They'll join teams. They'll put money in the offering plate. They'll give their opinions. They'll vote on stuff. But they'll deny the power. What does that mean? It means they won't have the abilities. You've been given like five senses, right? And then in the modern sort of TV show thing, if you have more than five, you're a superhero. But actually, sight is a power. It's an ability that enables you to perceive ultraviolet radiation within a certain frequency spectrum that we call light electromagnetic radiation within a certain frequency range. You have another superpower, another ability called hearing that enables vibrations in the particles to be perceived of by little hairs in your ear attached to nerves that then get translated by your brain as sound. You have another superpower called touch where your little nerve endings don't just feel that there's pressure, they feel that there's temperature, they feel that there's how hard the pressure is. Is it a scratch? Is it an itch? Is it a slap? Is it a punch? Am I injured or does this feel good? Are you aware of the feeling of your shirt right now on your body? Are you aware of the feeling of your glasses if you're wearing them? You are now because I said it. You're feeling all kinds of stuff. And if you didn't have the ability to feel, you'd injure yourself constantly. We are like, oh man, why did, why did God give us pain? Because he loves us. Nerve endings are extremely important. You can tell when you're being hurt. You shouldn't ignore that information. It's relevant. It's a superpower. What did I say so far? We didn't say smell. He's given you smell. Little particles that waft up in the air of a thing, you're able to perceive them in minute proportions that float around as particles in the air, and you're able to detect them, and they create a sense called smell. These are things that living beings can do. These are abilities. These are powers that if you're a living being, you have these powers. What else did I say? I didn't say taste. Wow, you have you have taste buds on your tongue. You have sweet receptors and salt receptors and umami receptors. Speaking of Mother's Day, umami. <laughs> Sounds like something I would say to my wife when I like how she appears. You don't want to hear that. No. No. <laughs> Evan was like, why is it that all preachers refer to their wives as their smoking hot wife? Why can't they just say wife? I was, because I was trying to come up with what do I call my wife when I write things. And I, I've kind of settled on my sexy, hot, godly short wife. And he felt that that was too close to the stereotype of all preachers referring to their wife as their smoking hot wife. Because, yeah, you know what I mean? Because I'm getting older, and once we're in the 60s, no one wants to hear that anymore. It's like, come on now. We just want you to be sweet and nice. Don't be weird and gross. Don't get so red-faced and excited. No one wants to hear about that or think about that. Stop it. Humans came out of eggs, as far as we're concerned. 
out of the ground. They were brought by storks on purpose because we don't want to hear about it. But if you're a living being, you have these powers. And in the spirit, we have all these senses, don't we? We see by faith. And what do we see? We're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when the veil comes off and we turn to Jesus, you know what we see that we didn't see before? According to 2 Corinthians, we see the beauty of God in the face of Jesus. Before, the devil blinded our minds and all we saw was ugliness. All we saw was irrelevance. We could not perceive the reality that was there. Sight was a byproduct of our spirit coming alive. Alive. It wasn't a byproduct of us being a good person. It was a byproduct of us having a new nature born in us. Smell. Paul says we're the aroma of Christ among those who are perishing and those who are being saved. Those who are perishing, what they smell when they smell Jesus in us, they smell a corpse. They don't want to be around it. Get away from me. You'd be a good dude if you would just shut up about Jesus. That's what I said to my mentor before I was converted. That dude would be a good dude if he would stop pressuring me about Jesus. I like this guy, but he's a freak about Jesus. Always Jesus, Jesus, 24-7. And then he put pressure on me. You know better. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to surrender. You need to give your life to the Lord. ah. And he was like that, but the Holy Spirit was even louder. He'd go away, but the Holy Spirit would remain and just dig at me. You know what I'm talking about. But once I crossed the line and said my yes, and he became my motive, then it was like, first person I called? That guy, Jim. Jim, the dude who was pressuring me about Jesus. Because he smelled different then. Suddenly it was like, that guy's filled with Jesus. All those Christians that didn't say nothing because they were trying to show me grace. Those wimps, I didn't call them. Freaking wimps. Yeah, they just wanted me to like them. He was more concerned about me not going to hell and not wasting my life than he was with me liking him. Come on. And then I knew who loved me. He loved me, not himself, because he was okay with me rejecting him. Right? Because as long as I need you to like me, I can't love you. Okay. Senses, sight, sound. My sheep hear my voice. You can't even get saved without hearing God's voice because it's those who are called and respond. There's a drawing of the Spirit. You're not smart. You're not a good person. You didn't come up with this faith idea. You're a moron. You were dead. You were a bad person. You're not a genius. I'm a fool without him. He called me. I didn't come up with this thing. I responded to a call. My hearing came open. Touch. We suddenly can feel. We feel his presence. We feel his pleasure. We feel his discouragement and disappointment sometimes with us. Christians don't like to talk about that sometimes. But when you grieve the Holy Spirit, you feel it. No one's more miserable than a sinning Christian. No one. There's more, but here's what I'm trying to say. These people who are in church, but they have the form, but not the power, it's not because they're being naughty and they should do better. 
It's that they aren't sincere. If they were, if they just meant it, Holy Spirit would have said, okay, that's faith. Whoosh. The nature of Jesus would have come into them and would have recreated in them a new nature. He would have done what, what Jeremiah and Ezekiel promise in the Old Testament. He says, God says, right now we're in the Old Covenant, so my laws are on tablets of stone, and my people disobey me. They constantly betray me. But there's a time coming called the New Covenant when I'm going to take my laws and I'm going to write them on their hearts. Ezekiel says, God says through Ezekiel, I'm going to do a heart transplant. I'm going to cut out their heart of stone. It can't feel, can't sense, doesn't want what I want. And I'm going to implant a heart of flesh, one that's alive, one that's, it's actually a new nature. I'm going to do a miracle in their inner nature and then from the heart, they will love me, they will honor me, they will fear me. And by the way, the fear of the Lord is the end of fear. The reverence. When you weigh pleasing the Lord's my only priority every day, it does something. Perfect love drives you into the presence of God, and in the presence of God, perfect love pulls you close, and perfect love casts out all fear. Fear of the Lord is about the ending of the fear. The form with no power. Paul, Paul's like, Timothy, here's, what, here's the problem. Society, society is going to morally decay. It's going to be hard. And then, then after this, he describes, and by the way, some of these fake Christians, some of these fake Christians that are powerful and influential, they're going to really hurt some people, some people who are vulnerable, some people who aren't discerning, some people who should know better but don't know better, some people who fall for it. They fall for the false promises real quick. They are not chained to their Bibles. They don't know their Lord as closely as they should, so they fall for it. But in the end, they're going to be exposed. And then he talks about himself and his integrity and his sacrifices and his struggle and his walk and his persecutions. And then Paul says, and by the way, Jesus was telling the truth. If this is how they respond to Jesus, this is how you should expect them to respond to you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you if you're following me with integrity. So the issue is not, oh man, I must have screwed up. I offended somebody. The issue is, did I please the right people? And did I offend the right people? If nobody's offended, something's missing. I'm not saying we ever try to offend people. We try to please the Lord. But if we never experience persecution of any kind, I guarantee you something's missing in our obedience. Amen. Or our message. Something's missing in our obedience or our message. Yes. If the people who resisted Jesus like us. I, I really doubt that it's you're just more winsome and humble than Jesus. No. You hear what I'm saying? Yes. So that's a good question, isn't it? Lord, is there something missing in my, what I say about you and what I'm living for you that, that is creating a situation where I have no persecution whatsoever in my life? I've been promised persecution and rewards for it and incredible fruit of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. Peter says, look, that's exciting. That's because when, they, when they're hating you for your integrity, you know the spirit of glory and grace rests on you. It's like a sign of divine approval. There's a fellowship with Jesus that can only happen in suffering for his name. Amen. And Paul says, that's all I want is more of him. 
It's what I want. All I want is more of him. I'm not in it for me. And the other thing is when you're in it for you, stuff trips you up. When I'm in it for me, that's when my sin comes out. When I lose my temper at my wife and kids, you know I have a selfish motive upstream. Upstream. If I'm in the flesh, something shifted in my motives. If Jesus is my motive and I'm actually, if he's really my motive, dude, you're bulletproof. You're bulletproof. They can kill you, but they can't harm you. But when self is my motive, then I do the most regrettable things that even after 20 years, I still regret them and cry last night talking to my wife about things I did 20 years ago to hurt her. Still crying after 20 years. And I can see it's so clear now. Wow, it's being so selfish. And after 20 years, I still hate it and grieve it. Yeah. We're talking about my anger is what I'm trying to say. My anger. Went down to the basement in Kentucky. I'm okay. I can share this. Went down into the basement in Kentucky and just begged God, what is wrong with me? And he said, the demon's in too deep. This kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. And I said, I have a demon? And he's like, not really. I'm trying to tell you. Casual, casual efforts to deal with deeply rooted issues are never going to work. Man, I had to stop defending myself. I was not allowed anymore to defend myself. I was told by the Lord to treat my issue of anger as though I was an alcoholic. I was supposed to consider myself like a rageaholic. And the root of it has nothing to do with anger, and it certainly isn't caused by the people in my life, which is the standard thing an addict will do. Blame the people around them for their addiction. Blame shift, blame shift, blame shift. It's your fault. If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have yelled at you, and I wouldn't have thrown the thing. Hmm, really? So you think everyone outside of you has the power over you to control what you feel. He made me feel. No one has the authority to make you feel anything. Do you think you can provoke Jesus to sin? No, because his motive is pure. So the Lord just said, you're not allowed to defend yourself. When attacked, when criticized, you're supposed to say, you're right, and here's two examples. But that's not fair! Mm. He gave me a vision of me on the throne of God, screaming with lightning bolts coming out my hands, and I was yelling, may my will be done. And I said, I thought I had an anger problem. Turns out I have an idolatry problem. Apparently, I think I deserve to have my way. It's my universe. Me, me, me. I'm sitting in his chair. Right? That's a big deal. And, and this, is what, this is the deal. If that doesn't break, if that doesn't break, there's no fruit that can come. No good fruit's going to come unless that breaks. Motive is everything, guys. Form without power until that breaks. When that thing breaks and Jesus becomes Lord, really Lord, now his love can flow. Amen. Man, I did not make near as much progress on this passage as I was hoping to make. It's all right. I'll just finish up like this. Paul says two action items for those living in the end times. In the end times, it's going to be hard because society is going to get real wicked. And it's going to get so wicked, it's going to even touch into the church. And he says two things. Number one, avoid them. What do you mean avoid them? I thought we were called to love people. We are called to love people, but we are not called to yoke our life to fools. 
A lot of people have, a, have an idea of rescue. I'm going to rescue them. I'm going to save them. And then they yoke their life to somebody who's making absolutely carnal choices and has demonstrated no openness to Jesus. And their life is endless suffering and all their energy. That's like, that's like trying to pay somebody's bills who has no ability to manage their own money. Now you're letting their lack of managing money empty all your accounts. Now you're in, his, you're in debt too because you've yoked yourself to them. Some people are emotionally that way and you've yoked your heart to them. Well-meaning foolishness. You're trying to love them. You're trying to rescue them, but you're not loving them the way Jesus would love them, which is to tell them, this is what you need to do, and until you do this, I really can't help you. And he lets the rich young man walk away, and he doesn't chase him, and he doesn't lower the standard because he knows until the rich young man sells everything and gives money to the poor, money is his God. And I can't help you till you're willing to change. I can't work on your problems harder than you're willing to work on them. And if I do, that's not love. That's me being an idiot. Avoid them. If they're in the church, avoid them big time. If they're in the world, evangelize them and serve them. But don't yoke your life to them. If they're in the church, like literally walk, or walk around them. There was a preacher and there was a lady in his church and she was gossiping, 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 gossiping. One morning, preacher, preacher, preacher. He just walked right past her. Oh, wonder why I'd... Next time, preacher, hey, hey, hey. Walked right past her. He turned a corner, like the next week, he sees her, ugh, turns, goes the other way. She flags him down and cuts him off. Are you avoiding me? Yes. Why? You're a gossip. The scripture tells me to have nothing to do with you. Dang! That, that like... Nowadays, that would have a podcast. That preacher would have a podcast against him. Oh, he does. He does. Hmm. Interesting. Avoid them. That's, that's like, Paul's like, you cannot be yoked to culture if you're going to make it in the end times. Avoid them. So disconnect. Two things, two, two applications if you're living in the end times. Disconnect from culture. Point number two, connect more intensely to Scripture. He says, Timothy, from your time you were a kid, you've been in the book. Oh, and actually in, earlier in the book, he says, your grandma and your mom are the reason you have faith in Jesus. There's your Mother's Day connections. <laughs> well, Mother's Day! Your grandma and your mom are the reason, and it's in you, and stir it up, stir it up, because you've been made to be bold as a lion. You've been made to be brave and powerful and strong and disciplined and get up at five and pray. Say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit and fill yourself with the truth. So disconnect from culture, strengthen your connection with Scripture because all Scripture is God-breathed. Every single line of Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful. It's practical. This needs a whole sermon. I, I'm just going to have to summarize. So Rick Joyner in Final Quest talked about this journey, this battle, and he, his, his main character is supposed to represent the person of faith, is climbing a mountain. And at one point, the path up the mountain, this is sort of me ending, so prayer team can come up, um, and then wrestle the microphone out of my hands. In his journey up the mountain, the, the main character in the story, there's, there's like evil birds trying to attack with condemnation and temptation. The path is more precarious. There's a danger of falling off. The wind is starting to increase. He intuitively realizes he's feeling dangerous. So what he does is he takes his sword out of his sheath. He, he 
crams it, he stabs it into the mountain as hard as he can and as deeply as he can, and then he ties himself to his sword so that he won't fall off the mountain. And, after, and he didn't, nobody told him to do this. It just made sense. After he does this, a voice from heaven booms around him and says, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. You need to drive that sword of truth. That's your Bible, friends. You need to drive that sword of truth deeper into the ground than you've ever driven it before, and you need to tie yourself to that word so that you don't get blown off the mountain, thrown off the mountain, pushed off the mountain, pulled off the mountain, so that you don't lose your way and slip and lose your footing. Many have, many have, many have. They've fallen down. They've lost all the progress they made. Some have fallen halfway down the mountain. They've lost 10 years of their spiritual growth. They've gone right back into stuff the Lord set them free from. Others have fallen all the way back down to ground zero, like they've got nothing and they've got to start over from scratch. And some have even fallen off the mountain. How are we going to navigate? How does Paul say Timothy has to learn to navigate? First off, know it's coming. Don't get all freaked out about, oh my word, the culture is terrible. I can't believe the culture is so bad. I should focus on it and obsess over it and talk about it. Of course the culture's bad. If you don't expect the world to be worldly, you're an idiot. That's absolutely ridiculous. That's like being shocked that an alligator tried to bite your leg. It's an alligator. I can't believe people are mean. Oh, I can. They don't know they're loved. They don't know they're valuable. They don't know, they don't have, a, they don't have the connection to the Father you have. They don't have any of the gospel resources. They don't have the church resources. They don't have the friendships. They were homeschooled in the wrong home. They're behaving exactly like you would expect them to behave. If, plus, they're, they're behaving exactly how you and I, on our bad days, still behave and how we used to live. It's not shocking, but don't yoke your cart to them. And do tie yourself more fully to your Bible. And there's so much more I would like to say, but I'm over time.